right, so we are recording. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Chuck Martin has been the head coach of Miami of Ohio's the Miami of Ohio Red Hawks since December 2013. In 2019, he led the school to its first MAC championship since 2010. He was the offensive coordinator for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish at the end of that 2013 season that ended in the BCS National Championship game. He won four national championships in nine years at Grand Valley State University as a position coach, coordinator, head coach, He's coached NFLers such as Tyler Eifert, Brandon Carr, Will Fuller, Zach Martin, and current Alabama offensive coordinator Tommy Reese. Coach Martin is kind enough to join me today. Coach, was there ever a moment earlier in, in your career, maybe at Milliken or Mankato, where you said to yourself, I- I'm going to go try something else? No, because I did the opposite. I was an auditor out of college. And I worked for a, a public accounting firm in Chicago for two years. And that's when I said, I'm going to go try something else <laughs> because I didn't really like being an accountant. It was kind of boring. So I did have that moment in my life, but never as a coach. Who's your biggest influence on you in football and why? I always say this, my, my biggest influence is coaching is my father. And everybody asked me, uh, where did he coach? And I always say he didn't coach at all. Um, but they say, how was the influence? I said, I coach how I was raised. Um, I was raised a certain way and I was raised with very high demands. Um, and there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. And a lot of things I didn't like to hear out of my father's mouth when I was growing up, many, many players, including yourself heard, heard those same words come out of my mouth, uh, to try to get them to do things the right way. So he, he was my biggest influence for sure. The follow-up question would be, you know, your biggest influence outside of football, but I would guess you, you would say your father also there. Yes. Yeah. I would also say to the original question, like probably Brian Kelly, because I worked for him at two different jobs, but every place you worked influences you. Like you learn, we, we are in the business that you really do learn every year. I've been doing this a long time and I'm still becoming a better coach every year. I honestly believe that. I know that for sure. And so every stop and every person you coach for and every person you coach with influence you in different ways. So um, it's hard to pin down who's your biggest influence because it really is one of the rare professions that you just keep learning and learning and learning. What would you say in what ways have you become a better coach? Um, I don't know. I think the biggest thing I've been able to do as I get older is change with the times and not be stuck in my ways and, and the kids things are different and with social media is different and with the rules are different and my ability to adapt and, and try to figure out how to motivate the the 2023 kids versus how it was to motivate kids 10 15 20 years ago um and then for me the biggest thing is as i've gotten older all of us when we're young we think we have all the answers and um, as you get older, you figure out it still comes down to what you learned when you were in high school or what you learned in grade school of can you execute what you're trying to do and can you play super hard and, and can you overcome the ups and downs? It's, it's so little about scheme. All these, everybody loves the offense or defensive genius and they're, and then you put their tape on and it's like they run the same stuff. Everybody, they're just probably better at coaching it or they're better at demanding it or they're better at better at teaching it and getting their kids to do it the right way. Um, there's not a lot of 
brand new ideas, even though people are dubbed, you know, gurus at this. And then you watch your tape, you're like, everybody's doing that. They just do it better, you know. Coach, you mentioned changes. In college football recently, we've had the transfer portal and NIL. How, if if at all, has have those two things changed coaching for you? Yeah, well, the transfer portal has changed for all of us, players and coaches. Um, yeah. Your roster, the the roster turnover on a yearly basis is nothing like it was ever before. Like if if you had three or four kids leave in a year, that was normal. Five kids leave, it was normal. Now, like you're getting your normal three or four kids that leave that aren't happy, but now you're losing, you know, five to ten players that are happy, that are looking for better or different opportunities. So um, I said your roster is more fluid than it's ever been, and you have to be ready to adapt every December because that's when the main crunch of the portal hits you right at the end of the season. And then you have this long-term plan, but then your long-term plan gets thrown, thrown for a loop because a couple kids transfer, you know, we, we lost two DNs a year ago that we weren't planning on losing. And then, so now you got to go find a couple DNs, which we did a good job. We found three really good DNs to replace them, but you have to be pretty flexible and you have to be pretty fluid with your, and, and yeah, we have a long-term plan, but if that plan gets changed, then we've got to adjust quickly and, and try to reload our roster at certain positions. All right, coach. I want to stretch your memory, memory a little bit. Um, I think this was the 2006 season, which ended in a national championship. And I want to say it was the national championship game. Uh, against Northwest Missouri State. I saw you during a timeout run all the way across the field to talk to the other head coach. Do you remember this? And do you yeah. remember what you said? Yeah. the It, it, it was actually not 2006. Because I've only done this one time. Well, I did two times. One was... I've never I, seen it. I've never seen it before. Yeah, one time I got to midfield and said some things to coach I don't want to repeat because it would probably cost <laughs> my job. But um, the other time, it was actually 2007. We won the national title in 05. We won the national title in 06. We had beat Northwest Missouri State both times. And then 2007, we played Northwest Missouri in the semis. It was a close game for about three quarters, and then they kind of put us on us in the fourth quarter. There was about five minutes to go. Uh, my team was, it was the night we lost our 40 game winning streak. So our 40 game winning streak was coming to an end. The longest winning streak in division two history at that time. Yes. And I had a couple kids that were hurt and battling and my roster was pretty beat up at that point. And I basically told coach Hirschman, congrats on the victory. Um, but I'd appreciate if you run the ball and let's get back out of here. And, and not know, like, it wasn't a bad conversation. It was actually good because I did. I said, we're done. I said, I got half my defense is going to go back out there, but I don't want them to because they're hurting and they won't give up, but I'm, I'm going to put, put them in a better situation. And uh, I knew because we beat him two years later, like he was probably thinking the game wasn't over. And I was saying, Hey, we've, we're out of bullets over here and we're, we're going to move on and, and we're going to live to fight another day. So that's actually the conversation I had with them, uh, which some people would think would be pretty cowardly to even have that conversation. But I was doing it because I knew my team and I, I knew where my, I, I had some kids I did really did not want to play many more snaps and they were not, I weren't, I wasn't taking them off the field. And they weren't coming off the field. Some of those kids had won 40 straight games, but I had a couple kids that are pretty beat up and pretty hurt that I couldn't convince to, 
take the last five minutes off. So I was trying to shorten the end of the game, to be honest with you. I've been wanting to know, you know, what that conversation was uh, for a long time. And I, I can remember the other instances of going to the 50 yard line. Um, so we won't, we won't get into that coach. I want to give you a hypothetical. Uh, if for some reason you, you took a job at a school that had never had a football program, the first steps that you take with an eye toward building a long-term successful program are what? Yeah, it's funny you ask that because when I came to Miami, we had lost 16 straight games. Now we have a great tradition here and a story tradition of winning, winning, winning. But when I took over, it was not it was not much different than a startup program. In some respects, I think a startup program would have been would have been better because we wouldn't had of all the bad habits and some of the uh, some of the having to turn your roster over, which we had to do and with kids that didn't believe in what we believed. And we were, so we basically were starting from scratch here. So I would say this, like the first thing is go find players that want to compete and win championships. And it seems so easy, but I just hired a quarterback coach named Gus Ragland, who was my first ever recruit here. And no one wanted him. He had, because he didn't throw good enough and he wasn't tall enough and he wasn't this and he wasn't that, but he just led Moeller to the state title and he scored eight touchdowns in the state title and five running and three throwing, but no one, he couldn't play division one football. It was December of his senior year. And when I took him, everybody's like, you think he can play quarterback? I'm like, I have no idea if that kid can play quarterback for me. I know he's a winner though. And I know he's a competitor and I know he just led his team, the state title and scored eight touchdowns in the state title game. So I'm starting my program with him because we're going to have competitive kids that know how to win. So that's where we started here. And, you know, it took us like two and a half years. We were five and 25, our first 30 games here. We are four and 26 and Mac play over a 30 game stretch, which is horrible, but we've been 34 and 16 cents being four and 26, which is the best record in our league. And we've done it by trying to find kids like Gus Raglan that love to compete and know how to win and know how to fight. And even though maybe not everybody wanted them, which in this case, no one in division one football, he had no division one offers. He ended up being a three and a half year starter at quarterback for me and really helped us turn this program around. Well, coach, you're, you're one of your prior quarterbacks. Tommy Reese was just hired as offensive coordinator by Coach Saban at Alabama. Why do you think he will be successful? Um, I think time be successful. One, he's really, really, really smart. Um, two, he's wise beyond his years as far as understanding football. Like, like I said, when I was his age, I wasn't like I thought it was all about me having all the answers and scheme and scheme. And he does a great job with scheme, but he he knows. He proved this year in Notre Dame, like he lost his starting quarterback, had his back up, and he kind of retooled his offense to fit what that kid was good at. Um, he's really good communicator um, with people. He's people will buy in very easily to to what he has to sell. Um, but he'll figure out what what whoever they're. I don't know who their next quarterback after Bryce Young is going to be, but whoever that is, he'll figure out his strengths and play to his strengths, and not necessarily just say, "Hey, this is." This is my genius ideas. You got to do it. Like he'll he'll figure out what what that kid's really good at and really really accentuate the positives and put him in the best position. So, I, I think he's already done a wonderful job at Notre Dame, and I think he'll be sorely missed there. And I think he'll do a fantastic job at Alabama. All right, coach. Just a couple of fill in the blanks here to get you before we get you out of here. Okay. All right. Uh, the best player I've I've ever coached is. Holy cow. 
Holy cow. Um, yeah, that's maybe Harrison Smith, Hall of Fame, future Hall of Fame safety for the Minnesota Vikings. He's probably hard to beat. I've, as you know, I've coached so many great ones because I was at Grand Valley for 10 years and we never lost. And then I went to Notre Dame and we had a great run there and we've had a very, so I don't know, but hard to say somebody's, I mean, Harrison Smith's going to be a Hall of Famer. It's hard to say somebody would be better than him. He's at least as good as anybody I could think of. This might be an easier one, Coach. The opposing player that you game-planned for who kept you up at night is? There's a lot of them, too. (laughs) Um, The opposing player that kept me up at night. Um, I'd have to say, who's the back at Wayne State? Joyke Bell. Joyke Bell. Because there was no answer because we couldn't tackle him. (laughs) <laughs> so no one could tackle him. He's probably Xavier Oman. You yes. go back to that. You brought me back to that miserable day in 2007, <laughs> which I appreciate you. I've got a lot of good memories at Grand Valley losing our 40, but Xavier Oman kind of ended that night with a 98 yard touchdown. So he was, he was probably, Oh, Andrew Luck probably was the biggest to be honest with you. When I was at Notre Dame, I was a secondary coach and had to try to defend Andrew Luck at Stanford. That wasn't much fun. Uh, uh, Xavier <laughs> Oman, I believe, spent some time with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, all right, two more here. Two more here. The Miami Red Hawk player that college fantasy footballers uh, should be watching out for this season is? Uh, Brett Gabbert. Easy enough. And. On this, here's the last one, coach. The achievement that you are proudest of is what? Ooh, ooh, that's a tough one. Yeah, I'd try to say rebuilding this program here is it was this is the hardest thing I've done in coaching. Um, just because again, like I said, we were coming off 0 and 16, I started off 5 and 25, so you do the math there, we won five of our last 46 games. Um, which is pretty bad. Uh, and uh, to get a turnaround and for the last seven years, have the best record in the league and, and win a championship and win bowl games. And, you know, we beat Northwestern, beat a power five team last year. So I, I'm, I'm pretty proud of what we've created here at Miami. Uh, but I'm proud of, you know, I don't know. I'm proud of everything that we've done through the years. It's like I said, we've, we've had a lot of successes and we've been very blessed and, Coach, a lot of great players that love the game as much as we love the game. It's been, it's been, it's been a heck of a ride. So, I don't know. That's probably, probably as proud a proud as proud of the <laughs> proud of thing. Anything if you take away the individual things, like there's probably more individual stories that I could tell you. That you know, I just went to a kid's wedding last Saturday that had a creating injury, and he lived in my he lived in my living room for five months with my wife after he got hurt during the season because we didn't really have any other good options for how to take care of him. Uh, my wife took care of him for five months and seven years later we're at his wedding he's a graduate he's getting into the master's program and it's, those are the stories no one understands that are the most most proud things as coaches that we do and you you live some of those and know some of those you know from playing um, that's what the outside fans don't understand that's really what we're most proud of as coaches the wins are great the losses suck obviously but the relationships and how we impacted people is the most important thing the Miami Red Hawks take on the Miami Hurricanes on September 1st. Uh, Coach, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, Coach, I'm going to stop the recording here.